Hello and welcome to the No Room for Doubt podcast. My name's Kyra Matthews. I'm a manifestation obsessive and I help creatives and independent business owners overcome self-doubt and anxiety so they can build thriving businesses online. So let's get into it. Hello, everyone. I feel very lucky and very special today because I have the best job in the world. I get to talk to such amazing people. This is purely, this podcast is purely self-indulgent, I have to tell you. I am sat with the amazing Jessica Boston. I'm going to let her introduce herself in a moment, but I want to first tell you some of the reasons why I wanted to talk to Jessica. First of all, She is one of the most glamorous people on the internet speaking about the subconscious mind. (laughs) And she's done herself up today for this interview and I just love it. So working with hypnosis is something that I've used in my journey and it's been something that I always come back to. This idea of talking myself and creating this world inside my brain that feels more real than my external circumstances. And I believe that that is truly how we create our goals. We have to step into this place where we believe all is possible. And we believe that more than any failures or any discomfort that comes across on our way in our journey. And the topic that we're going to be talking about today is an amazing tool to help you do that. So Jessica, I'd love for you to share who you are and what you do with those of my audience who are not familiar with your work. Well, I'm Jessica Boston. I'm (laughs) a cognitive, clinical and somatic hypnotherapist. But really, that just means I'm a hypnotherapist. And that's part of the modalities that I use in my work. I've been doing this for 10 years now. I love my work. I absolutely adore it. I get to work with fascinating, incredible women, predominantly. And the way that I work is I take them on three-month journeys, self-discovery, releasing their fears, their life pains, their their sort of internal conflicts that stop them from stepping into the life that they're sort of living alongside the life that they're living at the moment, a sort of quantum reality that they see could be theirs, but actually they don't know how to make it theirs and just make everything so easy break everything down and just begin to make this life accessible for them in small smaller and more manageable ways I mean the work is not always easy but we are trying to make it as realistic as possible as practical as possible but also using a very magical tool there's so many juicy things that I really want to break down and before we get into that could you share this magical tool for those who have never heard of it, who don't know how it works and what it is, what is hypnotherapy as a tool to create this, you know, this new reality that you work with with your clients on? Well, hypnotherapy is the therapeutic application of hypnosis. If you speak to a hundred hypnotherapists, they'll tell you slightly different things about what hypnotherapy is, because I mean, we sort of agree on it, but also there are different theories about how it works why it works what it is and also because there are parts of it that cannot be fully measured because it's Mm. the magic of art and language you can't really measure from person to person the effect that certain sentences would have on their mind and how that would 
mean something to them and create meaning in their life. Also, storytelling can't be measured. You can say, wow, that's an incredibly powerful story, but you could also tell it to five other people that would go, meh, not for me. So there's an element to hypnosis that is very scientific, measured, practical. I, I like to think of it as the place where art, science and magic meet because there's the artistry of, like I was saying, the artistry of the language, the artistry of the storytelling, the artistry of listening to something and picking out what might matter to them and making that more important, being directional with language, but also the things that you measure practically, how to make the science of it work as well, the things that we know scientifically are happening in the brain. So that's my definition. It's a bit of a personal definition, but that's what I think hypnosis is, this amazing point where art, science and magic meet. Art, science and magic meet. I love that so much. It resonates with me personally because I feel I don't use hypnosis, but I always think about manifestation and creating Mm -hmm. anything as like it's part maths and part magic. Some of it can be really measured and some of it is just the magic and serendipityness of life that comes through. You said that there is some parts that can be measured for in terms of like scientifically. And I'm just thinking about those of my audience who are more, who need more evidence and have a more logical brain. Mm. What parts of hypnosis can be measured, would you say? Well, you can measure the effects that habitual change is having on the mind. You can Mm. measure the, really what we're doing, and I would probably go in this order first to explain that what we're essentially doing is helping the protective nervous system the unconscious again is a, is a, a bit of a metaphor for the conscious parts of our brain and the unconscious parts of our brain people think it's a very literal place but really what what we are talking to and engaging with is the protective nervous system the parts of you that have stored a lot of information about the past and are creating your real world experiences day to day by sort of reminding you constantly that this equals this you know talk about maths and manifestation and magic the the mind is constantly doing its algorithms and making sense of everything it's going well this was a bit like this therefore this um that is similar to that therefore that you are helping those algorithms create new algorithms and in doing so, in creating those new algorithms, you're redirecting the protective nervous system. So it no longer says, well, if, for example, I've, you've got to give a talk. Let's say I've only ever had terrible experiences doing podcasts and I'm logging into the system today to come and have this chat. And my mind and my body are going, oof, this is going to be like X, Y, Z. So it's gone. This is similar to this, therefore equals that. And then that will already set off a chain of events where I'm nervous. I'm I'm worried, I can't get my words out, I'm panicking. If you change the original algorithm, the response is different. So if you give the subconscious something, you're, you're sort of saying to the subconscious mind, go here instead of going there. You don't need to believe that story anymore. Actually, let's make a better story up together. Let's, and, and this is a big part of the work is I never say to a client, hey, I think it would be really great if we did that. I might put a suggestion out. But really, they're designing it. They're making the new story. It, it, the fundamental core of the work I do is that it's about choice. The choices you didn't have in the original moment that is creating this programming. Because when we experience trauma, that's often the element that's missing. There was no choice. Mm. That, that was what you were given in that moment. That was what you had available to you at that time. 
if you continue to live without choice, again, it's not about saying that the whole world offers you every infinite choice, but often there are options right in front of our nose that our unconscious isn't even letting us see because it's too afraid to even allow that to be perceived into your reality. And when you start to do this work, people will be like, well, things are coming up for me that, you know, I, I've got this opportunity and it's, be, and it's like, well, it's probably been there all along. Mm-hmm. Like when you're looking at your house keys and you're going, you know, you keep going back to the same spot and going, where are my house keys? And you're looking and you're looking and suddenly you go, bloody hell, have they been here this whole time? I can't believe I've, I've looked at this table. They weren't there, but they were. You just, your unconscious didn't register them. That's so interesting. So it's like what I'm hearing is that largely the work is about your clients wanting this reality, wanting something different, not really knowing how to get there and really looking at the ways that the subconscious mind or the protective nervous system has been sort of linking and creating these stories based on the past trauma that are largely unhelpful to us in the present moment. And it's about really releasing those fears, releasing those stories at once served us in one place to say actually you have so much choice and so much opportunity available if you could just see it or at least be in the present moment to be with it and I think thinking about the people listening to this I think this happens so much to creatives who decide who are in a full-time job and then they decide oh I want to start a business And they think, oh, I've got this amazing product. I'm going to sew amazing dresses. The fabric's going to be amazing. But then they have to go and talk about it to people. And then there's this fear of, well, people are going to think I'm big headed. They're going to tell me to shut up. Why am I speaking? Why am I bringing all of this attention to myself? That becomes such a struggle, like letting go of that story of, you know, not being seen or being told off for drawing attention to yourself to actually needing to be seen in order to make your business successful. What would you say to someone who who feels like, there is this unconscious story that isn't serving them and they're not quite sure how to shake it and how to just get that wiggle room so they can start seeing that productive change that they want to be creating. Well, the first thing that I would want to know if this was my client is what was the purpose of the story in the first place? Because the more you you understand about why it's there, if you think about parents for years and years they told stories and fables to sort of slightly frighten their children into not doing things you know there's there's the scary man that lives in the bushes and whatever whatever you know we've always used stories to condition realities of ourselves and realities of others if you start to think about the reason that that story would have been created and not buy into the story when you start to look at it objectively because it's easy to buy into the story, especially as a creative. Our minds are incredibly compelling. It, it's all sort of like it's designed the scariest film possible for you and it's playing it to you and you're believing it and buying into the reality of it. To look at it objectively, take a step back from it and just say, when was this story born? Mm. And what did this story serve? Because for sure, you weren't born with a fear of, going out into the world and selling your wares. Most of us are born sort of, you know, you can talk about DNA and our programming and nature and nurture and et cetera, et cetera. But most of us are born pretty sort of blank slates. And then a lot more is imprinted on us than is actually already in us. And a lot can be changed, really. I mean, I'm always surprised by truly how much is malleable when you do really, really good work. 
I would just consider what purpose the story has been serving. Something's coming up for me is that in so much of in terms of our conditioning and the stories that we get told as as children and we get told ourselves is there's a lot of stories in our society and in our world that we just believe and t- we take as fact it's a fact that you must come from a family of money in order to create more money and to make that a reality for yourself it's a fact that you have to go to university get a full-time job in order to be successful there's so many things that we label as truths that are actually stories I think one of the most powerful things that we can do for ourselves is to decide to create our own story and our own reality. Earlier in the conversation, you said that one of the things that you do with your clients is that you allow them to design their experience and what they're wanting to create. How does someone go from, you know, believing all these things that haven't served them, stories that they're wanting to let go of, to being like, actually... I really want this new reality for myself, whether it's living somewhere, working in a certain place, doing something different. How do people step into trusting themselves into designing that reality? Well, this is it. I mean, this is the work because this is this is what we do on, on the programme is, is really at the centre of everything that my work is about is it is about rebuilding that trust. Mm. And also not thinking of trust as this sort of one big lump like I either trust myself or I don't it's actually sort of breaking it down into contexts of trust and being able to sort of bulk up and bulk down with it what I mean by that is you can trust yourself fully to take care of your dog for example but you might not trust yourself fully to make an income if you say I don't trust myself just because there are areas of your life that you don't trust it becomes very either or rather than, Mm. oh, it's just interesting that I need to build up a bit more trust in myself in this area of my life. Why is it that I don't trust myself when it comes to technology? How can I look at building that up? But really, you know, you say, how does something like that start? First of all, it's a a commitment to wanting more. You know, with, with my clients, they have to be on board. They have to agree that this is what we're going to do. And of course, change can be frightening. And you, most people think that there'll be the sort of one person in the world that will never be able to change. And then they end up yeah. finding that they truly surprise themselves. I was that person at one point that I thought, I'm an absolute lost cause. I'm way too traumatized. Throw me in the bin. You know, there's just, yeah. there's, there's, <laughs> no, there's no hope for me. And actually, sometimes I just sort of, you know, I'm sitting in the bath and I'm thinking, bloody hell, not only have I come far in work-wise, but really my brain is a very, very different place. And Mm. my homecoming program is about coming home to yourself and just finding peace in yourself and finding peace wherever you are, because you trust yourself. That is where peace comes from. It's just, look, the world is not always a very peaceful place. We know this. But if I can trust myself I can have more peace than I than I have access to if I place my peace in the hands of others. If I trust everybody else because I don't trust myself, I'm in a very vulnerable position. People mm-hmm. can take advantage of me. People can see my vulnerability and use it for their own gain. I mean, this is why I think this is the most important work. I mean, that sounds like a big statement because it's my work, but I don't mean with me. I mean, building up that trust that you have in yourself so that you have your own compass in life and you're not reliant on, I never want to be in a situation where I'm in a relationship just because I don't trust myself to be alone. That's a really scary place to be because you start making decisions from that place of, 
well, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of life. So I might end up in the hands of the wrong people because I don't trust myself. It, it leaves you very open, but not in the best way to be open. It leaves you open to predatory people. And that's not, the, that's not the sole, the sole objective of this, but just to be able to work on those, I, I call them trust ruptures. And the reason that I, d- I describe my program as homecoming is because I sort of liken it to doing work on a home, on a sort of mm. big refurbishment, is that you'd like to come in all guns blazing and take down all the walls and start again. And yeah, you can absolutely do that. But I want to preserve. I don't want to start again. You're wonderful. We're just mm. looking at what could be functioning better in the home. If we take down a wall, we'll get more light in here. If we find a way to move some old stuff out, there'll be more room for us to walk around the house easier. It's it's funny because people find it easier to understand if you talk about it as something separate from themselves. But it can truly be like that. You don't take everything down in one go because you want to preserve it. And nobody needs to change. Nobody is. It's not about... Oh gosh, I'm rambling. Oh, this is this bit you can <laughs> you might want to edit it because I've gone off on a tangent. But what I mean is we're we're not looking to completely, completely get rid of the structure from before. We're looking to see what happened to the structure, what weakened it, where the leaks are, what is not making it function as well as it could, what takes the energy from the from the structure. How does someone listening know if they need this work? Well, I would say most people need this work. I agree. I'm like, everyone should be working with some sort of coach, someone to look inside their brain and look at their thoughts and like all the time. I mean, I would say most, yeah, most people need to have a look at what's going on inside. You do it with most things, even even your kettle in your kitchen, you take a look at it every year and just check it's still functioning. But it's funny with people's minds, they think, oh, it will just be fine. It will just take a lot. But you're using it all the time and you're processing a lot of information and you're processing things that might frighten you that are going on outside in the world. And you're probably hanging on to a lot of stuff from your childhood you haven't realised. I really think everybody would benefit from it. If you find that you're in a constant game of ping pong between your choices, like, well, do I do this? Do I do that? Do I do this? Do I do that? You know, this is going to be great for you if you find that you get severe anxiety over most things and you're really not living you know for all we know we've got one life that's not to put pressure on you or to say do it better just gosh if we've only got one I want to give mine a really good go totally and to be totally open to all of life all that life has to bring and has to give I want to sort of change the direction of this conversation and talk more about the flow and creating that new reality, setting a goal and going and achieving it. If you were to boil that formula of setting a goal and achieving it, what would the three main things of that formula be for you? For me, I would, the first thing I would also say, it's all, it depends on the goal. I would think always about the route to the goal. What is the thing that I want to do? And can I work backwards to how I come back? Not that I have to go backwards through all the steps, but at least understanding, like, let's say I take my album, for example, I made a meditation album three years ago. I'd never done anything like that before, not on the level that I wanted to do it. I wanted it to, I didn't really have any references of how I wanted it to sound. I didn't have anybody that I could follow or anyone I looked up to, or I kind of had to find the path to it myself. Truly, yeah, I would say it does depend on what the goal is. Like in my business, I have sort of bigger business goals and then I have little 
ones that I tick off for momentum. I was talking about my album and what it looked like to make that. I'm also somebody who is quite slow. I, I'm not a sort of, hey, I've got an idea, it'll be out by next week. That's never been me. And I've tried to be that person and it just doesn't work for me. I'm a bit ploddy. I sort of like to research and put my feelers out. But also I then I knowing myself, I think this comes back down to knowing yourself. Because if you know that you're like that, you do have to watch your blind spots and watch that if you're somebody who is a big researcher or there's going to be a point where it has to come out into the real world. It can't just be, you have to be really honest with yourself if you're a bit of a procrastinator. And especially when you work alone, you don't always have people that you can, you know, might have a coach, but if you're spending a lot of time by yourself, you might not have somebody to call you out on your own bullshit and say, come on now, there's a difference between procrastination and, and a difference between, I just need a little bit more time to sit with it. and. I I mean, I just, anything that, any of my big dreams, I do enjoy taking my time to kind of internalize the things that I'm learning along the way, but also because I like to learn about that because then I like to share it with my clients and I, I am a, a thinker. So I don't know if I'm necessarily the best person to ask about putting out sort of really snappy, like this is the way to do a goal and quickly, because it truly depends on the speed of the goal, what the goal is. And also my goals are always... I, I rarely, rarely do short-term goals. Like I'm, I'm such a long-term goal person. Like I, I say this all the time, but in my business, I've always played the long game and there are two different games to play. I see a lot of people when it comes to, especially coaching businesses, they play the short game. You know, how much money can I make? I, especially with this sort of 10 grand a month culture of businesses. Yeah. It becomes just about quick, get things out. I I can't work like that. Like I, I have a level of quality that has to be infused in everything I do. I, I can't deal with the hassle of people coming back and complaining and not being happy. I, mm. It will take me longer, but I will be happier with it. And that's, some, that's a blind spot for me as well, because then I have to check that, is this about quality or is this about my unwillingness to put it out in the world yet? This is interesting because it does sound like you, you have an approach in terms of being a thinker and... I love to put a name and a concept to everything that I love to like any idea or goal that I have. I have to almost let the idea germinate in my mm. mind. I like kick it about on my tongue. I think about it from this point of view, that point of view, before I even allow myself to set any timeline on it. I call it like, like I have to sell myself on the thing and sell yeah. myself on the, the process there was a moment for me where I realized that goals aren't about the final destination. It's more of a question of, do you want to commit to this lifestyle change? Like you want to like lose 10 pounds? Do you want to commit to that process? You want to have a business? Do you want to commit to the, you know, the disappointment, the fun, the highs, the lows of achieving that goal? And I think for me, when I think about goal setting and when I think about doing it as a process with the whole body, heart and mind together, it's about, I guess, checking where my blind spots are and talking to my the deepest parts of my mind and saying, mm-hmm. can we all together move forward on this? Like, where is the fear? Where is the self-doubt? Where am I wanting to shy away from this goal? Or where do I not feel worthy and why? I think that's kind of what you're touching on there. Absolutely. I, I mean, I've got to a stage where, because it, if, if we're asking about my process or what I would do with somebody else, it would be two totally different things. I would want mm. to know how they think, how they work, what works best for them. I 
know myself well enough to of course I need help calling myself out on my own bullshit but I know how I think I know for the best part how I do things and I know how to get the best out of me but also I've worked through a lot of the limitations that slow me down not to say that I don't have any because for sure I do but now at this stage it's not so much about me having to do the work to be able to do that now it's just what next I want to do these things what is the route to it being how I see in my head my vision and making it real and also tangible because so often these big dreams they're sort of you have to make them real you have to make them possible you have to do the day-to-day the boring bits in between you know making my my album there's so many little conversations I had and again something that you touched on that really matters to me in my business and anything I do is that I do have to find the fun in it I don't mean like a laugh a minute you know day out at Thor Park roller coaster hilarious day what I mean is that the the sort of way I think of the fun is like me and my aunt playing a puzzle together that kind of creative dopamine of things slotting into place of just enjoying that oh okay it's coming together okay what now okay I can see it happening I love it I'm enjoying it how can I make this a little bit more fun like that's how I stay interested and how I don't burn out really when I see a lot of people burning out I think they've lost a lot of love for their business and they're just going through emotions and maybe they're copying somebody else's business and to keep yourself in it, to keep yourself inspired, excited by it. Because I'm still really inspired and excited by my business. And that is because I find the fun in it. Making my my album, my first album, it, This Feeling Is You, it took three years. It took a year to write the scripts. But again, I was enjoying the process of, I I thought, I want to really, really think about this and make it really exceptional and really beautiful and also just collect a lot of messages organize it and I found it really fun watching it fall into place I found it really fun learning about production don't get me wrong there were days where I mean there was an Easter weekend where I had to edit half an hour of my recording of each track down to 10 minutes each in garage band my garage band kept breaking kept restarting I had to come up with this system of how I would get the tracks together truly I've never really edited something I think God's blessed me that weekend and we're like, we will help you, child, because we don't know what to do. <laughs> um, but it was it was fun. Like it's not again, it's it's when I say fun, I don't mean like you have to be like laughing and having a jolly old time every day. Working through people's painful traumas is not always a jolly old day. But to me, there's the fun of the creative dopamine of solving the mystery of them and helping them understand themselves. That is a really fun part of what keeps me in it and what keeps me motivated to do my goals. And if I find that actually I'm not having very much fun doing this, again, it it really does come down to your own personal subjective meaning of the word fun. This is, I have other versions of the word fun, but this is the one I mean for work. It's this creative dopamine of things moving along, things coming together, knowing that it's really powerful, excellent stuff. the fun I get from connection from people reaching out to me to talk about my work or, or my album, like that to me is part of the fun of it. And that's what keeps me wanting to do more. How do you think business owners can keep their business fun? It sounds like you really know what makes things fun for you, like the learning, the researching, almost it sounds like the challenge makes things really fun for you. How can business owners keep being inspired by what they're doing? I would say 
play to your strengths. Really think about who you are. Like, and again, it sounds like such generic business knowledge, but I do, what I mean is the reality of who you are, even the bits that you don't love as much, even the bits that you find annoying, not who you'd like to be, not who you think you are. You know, in my head, I'm somebody who loves going out to nightclubs. Like, that's me. I see someone in a nightclub and I'm like, yes, I can't wait till I can put on a dress and go to a nightclub. I get to a nightclub and I'm like, why the hell am I here? I could be there. You know, that that's what I'm talking about here is like the actual reality of who you are versus the person that you think you are in your head. Mm-hmm. And I know myself well enough to be like, I know in my head I would like to be this person from time to time because it, we all slip in and out of fantasy. And But actually the reality of me is what I truly value is connection, curiosity, creativity. If I've got those elements in my business somehow, this will work. If I'm having conversations with people, meeting new people, getting to speak to my friends about work as well. You know, I have a lot of therapist friends and just just keeping that excitement because I've created a, a network around me of people that I love to talk to. That's one way I can keep it fun. If I'm being able to, creativity was so important to me because I used to be a, a, an artist and illustrator and painter and I was part of a creative scene back in Barcelona. And for years it was when I started as a hypnotherapist, it was always like my dirty little secret, like, oh gosh, I don't want anybody to know I was an artist because that will impact the seriousness of how I need to come out to the world. Of That's so interesting. And then th- this is the wonderful thing about doing this feeling as you is that actually all these worlds of me came together and they were like, stop trying to be something that you're not. You are a creative person. It matters to you. It matters to you to infuse your hypnotherapy with that. It matters to you that you're thinking about ideas a bit out of the box or how you can make something even better. I have my mother's mind. Like my mother will take something that is so, like she'll take something that's not anything like a stapler and she'll be like, I found a new way to make the stapler do this. And I might just use the other instrument to do that. And I I love that kind of way of thinking where you're like, I want to see if I can make this better. Sometimes it goes completely wrong. And I'm like, well, there's already something else making that better. But nine times out of 10, or even three times out of 10, you might find a more exciting way of doing something that's actually really effective. And if I don't have that in my business, I get drained. I get bored. I, If I'm not working with clients who again they don't have to be super creative I'm not saying that like they have to be like turn up to the sessions in a wacky hat and be like let's talk about what not it's not that it's just that they probably have a similar way of doing things in the world as I do and and that's how I keep it fun you know last night I was working till two in the morning doing documents for work I finished doing people's mp3s at eleven thirty, and truly you could say oh you need better work boundaries etc but I never think I'm having a horrible time or I'm upset about this. I had the morning off. I'm working till late. No problem. I manage my time the way that I manage it. But for me, it's still fun. I think it's so refreshing to hear you say that about your creative background and almost wanting to keep it a secret because on a personal level, I can relate, but I just know so many people listening will have their own thing, their own version of this. So for me, it was like, you can't, 
be a coach and have come from a creative background the totally same thing like you're meant to be very professional you're meant to have an MBA you're meant to have all of these things why are people going to want to hear it from you and it's almost that you have to kind of shake off that story and step into the idea of no but actually your brain has something really valuable to offer just because you can't see it as an option out there doesn't mean that it shouldn't be an option out there and I think that's so valuable there's so many people listening who have that version like in their own way and truly I was told for years before I made this feeling is you oh you've got to be you you've got to be more authentic and and it was you hear these messages all the time and you're like I'm not sure again it's 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 like the big bulk of the message you've got to break it down into what it actually means to be you tangibly day by day habitually and understand what that means because I would hear people say that and it felt like such a dilemma for me I remember one of my first pictures that I had taken for my website and it's so funny I I look so adorable like I'm wearing a suit I love wearing suits but I look I, I, I look like I'm wanting to portray myself as something that maybe isn't as natural like wearing this suit to sort of show I'm a coach now Mm. and making this feeling is you and combining those worlds and being like I'm going to take a risk and the people that are for me will be for me I, I I call it a Hawaiian pizza business I am a Hawaiian pizza business I will trail to all the supermarkets in my local area to find a Hawaiian pizza on the weekend and they're always sold out it's maddening people tell me no one likes Hawaiian pizza they're always gone interesting (laughs) I want to be a Hawaiian pizza business I'm not for everybody and not everybody will be for me and that's totally totally wonderful I don't want you to work with me if you're going to be unhappy about it I don't want it won't work it won't work why would I make put you through that why would I, I don't want to be another thing on your list of things that didn't work for you, that didn't help you see who you could be. More trust is broken through that than anything else. I want this to be an incredible experience for you. I want you to step into who you always known you could be because you are that person already. That's what I want for you. I don't want to make you miserable if you don't like the sight of me every week. <laughs> so yeah, working on this feeling is you and just saying, I'm going to fully commit to showing the world essentially because you release an album and once it's out there in the world you can't do anything about it it's out there this is I'm going to incorporate everything I'm going to incorporate the art the science and the magic and the art I already had but I was hiding it I thought I would just lead with the science that's boring I was missing some of the magic that that came with that yeah totally totally that's so valuable to hear I suppose with the subconscious mind, Mm. just shifting the direction of the conversation a little bit, something that I think is coming up is the question of self-sabotage. A lot of people set goals and they're like, similar to you, they have this thing like, okay, I'm going to commit, I'm all in, let's go and do it. I suppose in their awake conscious mind, they're like, yep, I'm going to show up, I'm going to do an Instagram live, I'm going to send the email. And they almost describe it as something outside of their control stops them from taking this action and they might call it self-sabotage and what like I see people describe it almost as if self-sabotage is like a little gremlin like running around and like making a mess of their lives like behind the scenes yeah I would love to hear what your approach to self-sabotage is and what your thoughts are on that sure well the way that I approach again I'm an annoying person to ask because I would want to know more about that person and this makes me a maddening person to ask but the reason I ask is because it would be different in every single person 
why they are self-sabotaging and what they are afraid of happening. So let's say we're talking about a fear of being seen and part of them is desperate to be seen. They want to be seen out in the world. They want their business to be seen. But there is a part of them that remembers the danger of being seen. And especially as women, like we're going to have that in our DNA. It's going to be under our skin. The, te- the We all would have a, an experience of danger from being visible that is difficult to forget. And actually, I'm not really ever asking the subconscious to forget about the danger. I'm asking it to work around the danger. I'm not saying that we have to make you so fearless that you decide to go out into the forest at night for a dance in a dangerous area. No, I'm saying, do we let that fear completely dominate your life? Do we actually just make it a bit more realistic of how we deal with that and the consequences and the places that your mind is going to? You do an Instagram live, what is the fear? Is it social humiliation? Is it fear of ridicule, fear of looking foolish, fear of looking foolish for believing in yourself? We would have to understand what is the fear by asking the protective nervous system. That's really what we do. We ask the system, we ask the body, what's going on here? Where are you going back to? What moment in time are you stuck in that you won't let us move forward? And and also the thing is, is that Sometimes it can be fairly cut and dry. There aren't that many experiences of it. It's fairly easy to move through. There's a pretty clear route to the other side. But as a woman, you might have many, many incidences of danger that need a bit more convincing. And this is why I do the work in the way that I do it over three months, because sometimes it's not enough for the subconscious just to hear something once and go, hey, everything's cool now. You can come out. It's like, "Mm, I'm going to need a bit more time. I'm going to need a bit more finding my footing and, and moving into this in, in a real way. I, I often describe it with clients as it's sort of a bit like taking a frightened animal to the vet. You you can't just grab it and put it in a bag and it's already frightened, it's already vulnerable. You've got to earn its trust and you've got to earn its trust in this moment that it's vulnerable. And this is the work. Is it's, we, we think our subconscious mind is going to be this sort of intellectual, like Freud will pop out of our ear and be like, oh, I just got it wrong. And it's it's actually a much more vulnerable frightened part of us that needs support compassion holding seeing caring um and direction you're not just saying it's all okay now you're saying it's all okay now because because actually there's this option now you can do this instead that's a sort of sprinkling of how it works but you have to earn the trust of the subconscious as well to make the work more effective it's not just about getting the subconscious to trust it also has to trust the process it has to see that we are working for it we are helping it it we're not here to ruin its life the same with the dog going to the vet it's expensive and i have to pay for you to go to the vet don't i look at my little dog love it but she treats me like um do you want to see her she's so cute yes. she's having a sleep she's just oh hi she's got a little hair clipping this is another way you keep it fun. You just look down at your desk and you see this and it makes everything easier. Literally, I think I'm in love. How old is she? She's going to be 11 next year. Oh my God. Isn't she a cutie patootie? She's a grandma. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so, so you would want to know basically what the subconscious is afraid of by asking the protective nervous system. A way to do that is by checking in with it when it happens. So let's say you're about to go on an Instagram live, get a terrible sensation in your stomach, you start buying into the story that, oh my gosh, I can't do this because everyone's going to think I'm boring and silly. And and where is your mind going to in that moment? 
What is it doing? What is the intention of this story and this feeling? What is it trying to keep you away from? And where's the danger? If we understand the danger, we can understand the real reality of that danger and help your subconscious mind process the all or nothing response of like, it's either very, very dangerous or it's not dangerous at all. Maybe there are shades to it. It's actually, sure, of course. It's like being afraid of snakes. Of course, you you don't want to like hang about in a pit with poisonous snakes, but not all snakes are poisonous. You don't have to be afraid of all. It's about figuring, again, this is also about knowing yourself. The more you know yourself, the more you're able to discern what real and unreal danger is. Totally. And it's so interesting that you say that real and unreal danger, because when it comes to things like social humiliation, Mm. I think it almost doesn't serve us to be like, oh, it's fine. Like, be seen, say what you want to say. No one's going to say anything bad about you because it's just not true. Like, there may be comments online, like in the Internet, people can just say and do anything. There may be people who don't like you, like your colleagues might at work may say something. And I think it's kind of like almost opening yourself up to that fear in your mind and a safe space and asking yourself, is this a fear that I'm going to let stop me? Even if this terrible thing did happen, would I still be proud that I moved forward or that I took this action? Like, And I think almost that's where the trust comes from that you're talking about. It's just like revalue, like, I can't get my words out, (laughs) validating yourself that even if the world was like, "Eh, you've done this wrong, I would still have my back anyway. That's it. That's the work. If you can trust yourself, you can trust the choices that you make. Not all choices are a great choice just because somebody on the internet told you that you have to always go for everything, take every opportunity. Some opportunities, don't go for them. I look, I think it's good to go for as much as possible to stretch yourself, to test yourself, to know yourself. This is how strengthen that muscle. But again, it comes back down to not what others are telling you about your own personal ability to choose, discern, see as many options as are available to you in life, and to continue to create more options for yourself by being open to more. So, so good. Is there anything that we haven't touched on in this conversation that you would love to talk about? We talked about some really fascinating ideas. don't know. I think we talked about some great stuff. I mean, there's always so much more, isn't there? I mean, I could prattle mm. on about this all day long forever, but <laughs> and I would if anyone lets me. I wonder, is there anything that you wish people asked you more about? If I wanted them to know something, I'd tell them, probably. Straight up, direct. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't think of anything that I would want people to ask me. I'm quite happy not to be asked, to be honest. Fair <laughs> okay. enough. No, I'm no. with it. I, I am making a new album at the moment. That's something I'm looking forward to. I'm working on little mini projects, meditation projects. That's exciting. Apart from that, I can't think of anything. I mean, we've covered sort of the basics. There's so where do you even begin in sort of explaining the subconscious mind? There's so much that we could talk about. I'd just maybe iterate going back to your business, making it yours making it yours, making it fun and play the long game. That's the best advice I have for anybody when it comes to a business. That doesn't mean don't chase short-term wins. Of course, you have to. You have to maintain momentum, but play the long game. Make your decisions in your business around the long game. What I mean by that is make happy 
customers, you know, make people really excited by what you do because you do really good work. Don't cut corners when it comes to the work that you offer people because for what? Why? Why would you do that? I would much rather build my business on people being genuinely, genuinely happy with the work that I've done with them than than trying to be smart and figure out some do you see what I'm what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Totally see what you're trying to say. I feel like I had this moment, like you're reminding me of something I had this moment where in at the beginning of lockdown, all I could think about was my need to make money. And then there was this switch where I was out of survival and life was fine again and COVID was like dying down again. And I realized life was not about like the stuff or the money or where you live and what you're eating. It was more about like these experiences that are so temporary and just collecting these like meaningful experiences. And we only really get them with other humans and our relationship to other humans. And I loved thinking about my business in in that way. It's like a vehicle to collect these experiences. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think through playing the long game, you set yourself up for that. I, I When yeah, I've seen totally. this sort of catastrophe, like, I mean, fail, catastrophe. Oh, I can't think of the word. When I've seen businesses fail, you can tell when I'm getting close to lunch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I've seen businesses fail catastrophically, it's always because played the short game and very, very, very quickly and very intensely. The results will always be very different. Yes. I think that's an amazing place to end on. Jessica, thank you so much for coming. It's been literally my pleasure to get the chance to talk to you. I do have one more question for you, though, before you leave. Mm -hmm. And I love asking this of all my guests because they really get frustrated when I answer this. They're like, why end on this one? But it's my favourite thing. I want you to imagine that tomorrow the slate was wiped clean and you know, everything that you had achieved and created so far, the slate was totally wiped clean. You had the chance to rebuild again, but you can only take free tools with you. Now, these tools, they can be physical tools. They can be lessons you've learned. They can be like intangible mindset concepts. They can be whatever, but you can only take three tools with you to rebuild your life again. What would your three tools be? I'm going to trust what popped into my mind. I don't I don't know if Josefina, my dog, counts as a tool. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Important to the magic. Truly important to the magic. I mean, you might think I'm joking or being silly, but she is my company. She's my sanity. Mm. She's my, you know, when things are hard, I look at her face and I'm like, you can't be upset looking at that face. You can't mm. be annoyed with anything looking at that face. She truly keeps me grounded. She makes me laugh. Yeah, she would be my first. And she's been helped. Like, I can't even explain the magic she's contributed. It, it would be a whole other story. But for sure, she'd be my number one. Number two would be my album, because it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about pain and grief. I mean, I wrote it in the hardest year of my life. My dad died. My I split up with my partner of 10 years. I It was everything fell apart to come back together again. And it is something that is one of my proudest achievements in life the the magic of it the, the lessons that I learned along the way that would be two and then three I would tell myself to play the long game I I've said it a few times in this but because it matters 
to me to think on those days where I'm not getting those quick wins. I'm not, things feel frustrating. Things feel long or like, gosh, why is it taking, why am I having such a difficult month? Why, you know, because I guarantee in 10 years of doing this, there have been months where I was not able to pay the rent easily or, you know, the clients just weren't coming in in Barcelona and trusting the process. Again, more sort of coaching buzzwords that mean little, but trusting the process means to me playing the long game and realizing actually this is not about just getting somewhere quickly. This is about the lessons that I'm learning. This is about the fun that I'm having, the joy that I'm having, the creative process. The There's not going to be one, one big win that makes everything okay. It just doesn't work like that. You're not going to get in a magazine and be like, well, that was all for that then. Great, game over. It's, it exactly. Like exactly. It doesn't work like that. It's more, um, am I enjoying this more? Am I having fun? Am I, did I make a life for myself I found fun? And truly, I do find my life fun. Not every second of it, not all day long, nonstop. But for the most part, I've created something I'm pretty proud of. Amazing. That's such beautiful sentiments. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your magic, your magic science and art with us. Can I just ask, where can people find you if they've listened and they're like, I want to get in touch, I want to try some of this work on for myself how do people get in touch with your work sure thing well um my website is jessicaboston.com if you go into jessicaboston.com there's ways to contact me and also you can apply to work with me and depending on when it is I may or may not have a waiting list but I normally do have a bit of a period of time so if you're thinking about it get on it sooner rather than later you can find my album on spotify this feeling is you jessica boston and dessert and you can find me on Instagram. I am Jessica Boston. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you, my love. Thank you for having me. It's been a joy. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you're going to want to get in touch to Coach With Me one-on-one. We take all of these concepts and materials, apply them to your brain and your business so we can get you to your next level. Join me by going to www.kyramatthews.com forward slash next level. That's www.kyramatthews.com forward slash next level to get your space to coach with me one-on-one. I can't wait to see you there.